Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, would you take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1? James chapter 1. I started a sermon series last week entitled Real Religion, Testing Trials and Temptations. Now, here's where we are sometimes. What happens to us often is we... We have this disconnect between Sunday and Monday. And so what happens is at church on Sunday, man, we're real religious. We got it. We got this Jesus thing figured out. We have it all wrapped up. And then all of a sudden, Monday comes. And it's not that we're trying to be a different person on Monday than we are Sunday. It's that sometimes there's a disconnect between uh, maybe the classroom and the street reality. And so what James tries to come along and, and do, James tries to come along and put the two together. And James says, here's real religion. Here's Here's how, you, here's how you take what God has told you, and here's how you put it into practice. And the whole book of James is really a practical, practical book. And so we looked last week at trials. How do we deal with trials? We said there'll be a test, and God uses trials as a test. Well, today we're looking at temptations and how God uses temptations as a, uh, God doesn't use, but temptations come, and even actually as a test in the Christian life. So we will look at that today. And uh, we're going to preach on uh, temptation, do and die, not do or die, but do and die. Now, what are you tempted by? If I, don't, don't answer the question. Sorry, it was rhetorical. What are you tempted by? So your temptation is different than mine, but here, here's what Barna did a survey uh, a few years ago, and here's what they discovered was uh, our main temptations. Number one, worrying or being anxious was the number one American temptation. Anybody have a worry issue from time to time? Of course you do. I do too. I'd worry about you if you didn't worry. So uh, that's just how it is sometimes. Number two was procrastinating or putting anything off. Anybody else have a problem with procrastinating? Yeah, the ones that didn't raise your hand, you're like, I'll raise it later. <laughs> right. Three, well, this one just got personal. That's rude. Eating too much. I've heard of people that have that problem, but uh, uh, number four was spending too much time on media. Of course, that's the day and age in which we live where screen time is, um, my wife and I, we, 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 we laugh at people who say, oh, I never watch television. No, but you watch Netflix 11 hours a day. It's the same thing, right? It, it, YouTube, same thing. So we have, a, we, have, we have temptations with spending too much time on media. How about being lazy? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but I know it's just not worth the effort, right? Being lazy. How about spending more money than they can afford to spend? That was a Big temptation among Americans. I just look for yourself in here. Gossiping about others. Being jealous or envious of what others have. Viewing pornography or sexually explicit material. I want to stop right here for a second and pause because we live in a society that pornography has now become too easy access. And so when you read studies that talk about how addicted Americans are to pornography, it, it, is, it is staggeringly a bad problem. And then you, you take it over into the church and you find out that people in the church are just as addicted to pornography as, as people outside the church. You, you talk to teenagers, pornography addiction is a starting as early as eight and nine years old. Because we're, we're giving them devices that allow for easy access of it. And, and hey, let, let's I just, I don't want to pick on teenagers, 
the um, pornography addiction among pastors is astronomically high. We have yet to see the destructive power that's going to have on a generation that started at eight and nine years old. Marriages are going to be impacted in a horrific way a few generations on down the road. And it's one of our, it's one of our biggest issues in America. And then abusing alcohol and drugs. About one in ten Americans have an issue with alcohol and drugs. Now, when Barna asked these same people, and this is really kind of sad, what specific thing do you do when you are tempted to do something wrong? Six out of 10 Americans say, I don't do anything. I don't even try to not fall into the temptation. I don't even try to manage that temptation. I just just give in. Six in 10 Americans, when when they read that list, just said, the same people answered, said, I don't even have any kind of plan whatsoever to deal with temptation. Matter of fact, when they ask him, why do you think you give in to those temptations? 50% said, I have no idea. 20% said to get away from real life. 10%, 8% said to feel less pain. And 7% said, because there's somebody that expects that of me. Now, let's be honest, you you don't have a lot of temptation when you come to church. That's the classroom. On Sundays, you feel like you could conquer any temptation. On Sundays, you feel like, man, you could whip the devil with one hand tied behind your back. Like, when you come to church, I've been here since about, I I, I don't know, what time did I get here? 7.30 this morning. You get here at 7.30, and you go home at 1 or 1.30, and and you feel like, man, while I'm here, I got it. I got this Christian thing. The devil can't get me now. But then Sunday night. By the time you've watched the Falcons blow another lead that afternoon, by the time you've watched the Braves probably not score another run tonight, and by the time you get up in the morning, it's like everything that I felt at 11 o'clock yesterday dissipated overnight. I mean, it'd be great if we could get the choir, uh, wouldn't it be great if those choir was your alarm clock? It'd be a little weird, but wouldn't it be great If the choir woke you up on Monday mornings and you felt, man, the Spirit of God moving and Denny was in in your bedroom saying, wake up in Peavine City Church, man, arms going everywhere, it'd be awesome. You'd get religion, man, You'd, you'd feel like you got it. But you wake up on Monday mornings and it's just not clicking the way it did even 24 hours ago. And that strength you felt in the face of temptation right now is gone. And so James comes along and he says, here, let me help you with this idea of temptation. The majority of Americans are sitting around being tempted and not doing anything about it. So let me help you deal with temptation where the rubber meets the road. And so that's what I want to do today. So would you stand up with me as we honor God's word by reading it? We're going to begin in, in James chapter 1, verse number 12, and uh, you can look up here at the screen, and uh, whichever screen you want to look at this morning, it's there on all of them. Uh, it starts off in verse number 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then 
when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Thank you. You may be seated. James is dealing with this ugly word, temptation. Now, before we dive into temptation, let me tell you a little bit about what tempting means. If I, if I look at just the basic Greek word of temptation you find in your Bible, it means to test by soliciting the sin. And so uh, even that definition, which is great, it's a test that comes my way that is a test of soliciting me to sin. That is what we call temptation. But we even need to break that down a little bit more because we live in a generation that doesn't always know what you even mean by sin. So here is the best definition I can see for temptation. It's temptation is the allure to fulfill a desire apart from God's design. A lure to fulfill a desire apart from God's design. That is a, a, the best definition of temptation I can come up with. Here it is. That God has a design for every part of your life. And get this, God's design is always the best for your life. God's design is always the right for your life. The way God designed your life is your best life. And temptation is when there is a lure for you to fulfill God's design apart, uh, fulfill a desire apart from God's design. Let me get personal for a minute. It's the issue with sexual immorality in our day. God has a design for sexuality for everyone. It is one man for one woman for one lifetime. Can I get an amen right there? Like if you don't amen that, can I tell you, nobody else in the world's going to. Right? So let me say it again. God's design for sexuality is one man for one woman for one lifetime. Amen. Amen. But what happens is a temptation is a lure for you to fulfill that desire apart from that design of God. So you say, well, preacher, uh, are you going to preach against specific sins? Here's what I want to preach against. Anything apart from that design is wrong, and one thing is no more wrong than the other thing is. It's all It's all a lure away from the design of God. God's design is one man, one woman for a lifetime. So anything that tempts you beyond that, whether that be engaged in uh, in sexual immorality before you're married, God's design is abstinence before marriage, and then monogamy in marriage, anything that pulls you away from that is against God's design. I I can say it even in the area of uh, when it comes to drinking alcohol. I'm a teetotaler. I don't believe in drinking alcohol or not. And here's why. There's a Bible verse that says, Ephesians 5, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, there is not two more polar opposite things to put in the same verse, filled with wine or filled with the Spirit. Those are two polar opposite things. But here's God's design. God's design is that your life, get this, man, this is so good, that your life be altered by the Spirit of God. God's design is that your life be altered by life transformation through the Spirit of God. And here's what Paul said, alcohol is a cheap substitute that leads to bad places. Anything apart from God's design is wrong. And that's what we're dealing with in, when he says this, a temptation is a lure, a, des, a, a lure to fulfill a desire apart from God's design. We are taking another test. It is the test of temptation. So I want us to dive in because God's going to answer some questions. Where does uh, t- temptation come from? Does God tempt me? Should I bother resisting? What happens to me if I give in to temptation? 
because we all do from time to time. So let me tell you three things James said. Let me walk you through it. Number one, temptation reveals your love life. If you're taking notes, jot that down. That's going to be the, maybe the most important thing you hear today. Temptation reveals your love life. And let, me show, let me show you to you in verse number 12. Look up here at verse number 12. Here's what he said. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, let me, let me walk you through this verse just a little bit. The word blessed there means the favor of God. Now, here's, here's what you need to know. Whenever you see the word blessed, you need to stop and pay attention. Like, you need to shut down, pay attention. What is God trying to say? Because what's going to follow is how you can get the favor of God in your life, how you can get the blessings of God in your life. Every Friday in my prayer time, uh, for years and years and years, I've prayed the prayer of Jabez uh, every Friday. Lord, that you'd bless me indeed. The favor of God will be upon my life. Well, that prayer does no good if I'm doing things against the favor of God. Well, James comes along and says, here's how to get the favor of God in your life. Here's how to get the blessings of God in your life. Anytime you hear that, you've got to stop. You say, preacher, is it right to be praying for the favor of God? Well, I want to pray for the curse of God. Do you, right? Like, I, if I'm going to prick one, I'm going to go with blessing. So how do I get blessed? Here's what he says, the man who endures temptation. Now, here, here's what that means. Let me simplify that for you. It means you pass the test of temptation. That's all it means. You pass the test, not endure like you endure it, like you sit under it. It means you'll find the favor of God when you pass the test of temptation and you will be approved. Love that word. It's a word in the Greek that means uh, it's like refining precious metal. It's when you put it through a fire and it comes out purified on the other side. So here's what James is saying. You want the favor of God in your life? Then you need to pass the test of temptation. Once you do that, you'll be approved. You'll be refined. You'll be better than you were. And you'll receive the crown of life. Now let's hold off here for a second. Because we think crown of life, we think queen of England, right? Crown, king of England, crown, prince, princess, crown. That's not the crown. The crown that's almost always talked about in the Bible was a laurel wreath that was placed on the head of someone who was victorious. It was typically after, say, the Olympic Games, a sporting event. The winner had a laurel wreath placed on their head. Generals and soldiers coming back from a victorious battle, when they were marched through the streets, would have a laurel wreath placed upon their head. And it was a sign of victory. It symbolized glory and honor. Now, let me, let me skip ahead a little bit. In verse 15, he's going to talk about death. But in verse 12, he starts off talking about life. There'll be people who write books about the crown of life. Don't get hung up on what the crown of life is. We don't really know what the crown of life is. But I think since verse 15 is referencing death, that verse 12 is referencing life. And, and, and the best I can, I can pour myself into it, I think what he's talking about is the abundant life of the Christian life, that you'll find favor with God if you pass the test of temptation. You'll get approved in the fire of God, and you'll receive life instead of death. But notice this. It comes to those, notice the last phrase, who love what a way to frame the verse. It start, starts off as a temptation test to pass and ends up talking about how much you love God. When I take the totality of this verse, love him is the key phrase. Because we're talking about not giving in to sin. And here's what that tells me about temptation. 
Temptation is not about resisting sin. Get this. Resisting temptation is about loving something or someone more than the sin. That that could be the most important thing you hear. Because resisting temptation is not about me trying harder. Resisting temptation is about me loving God more. And you're here today and you're really struggling with overcoming a temptation and a sin. And it gets the best of you most of the time. I mean, it is wearing you out. It is wearing you down. And you're tired of it. You're sick of it. You're tired of the temptation in general. You're tired of always losing to the temptation. You're tired of the shame that comes after the temptation. You're tired of the results that come after the temptation. You're just sick of the whole thing. And here's the truth. You're trying to have more willpower to resist it. You want to have more willpower to get through it. And if you're thinking, if I can just get more willpower, I'll get better. Did you know willpower is an expendable resource? That science tells us you only start off with a certain amount of willpower. And so you're thinking, man, preacher, I have tried, I have tried, I have tried. I guess I'll try harder. You're not going to win the battle that way. You say, well, then what's the solution? The solution is to love something else more than you love the sin. As a matter of fact, he said, love God more than you love the sin. And what happens, man, this is so good. When I love God more, the temptation desire starts to fade. And the closer I get to Jesus, the less I'm tempted by whatever he's tempted with me, whatever I'm being tempted with in life. It's not to try harder. It's to love something or someone else more than the thing I'm being tempted with. I told my wife early in the week, I said, every illustration I use this week can be about food. And I'm not going to talk about food all day, but let me do it one time. Can I do it one time? Can I do it one time? You, you, you go to eat at a, you, you're on your diet. You started on Monday, and it's Monday afternoon now. And so you, you started, and you find yourself at a buffet. You know, typically at a buffet, there are healthy options on a buffet. You, you can eat healthy We don't, but you could eat healthy. And when I walk up to the buffet line and I take my tray and I I grab my plate, and here's what I always say to myself, I'm going to be good. I'm going to get vegetables. I'm going to get baked chicken, and and I'm going to get healthy vegetables, stuff that's green and red and full of colors. I've read that somewhere. And so I'm going to get my plate, and I take one step down. You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at a big bowl of mashed potatoes and a quart of gravy right beside it. First thing. Now, I'm immediately confronted with a dilemma and a temptation. Now, here's the choice I'm making in that moment. That, what do I love more? Being healthy or gravy? (laughs) Right? My my wife's mama, my mother-in-law used to have a saying. She'd tell us when, when, uh, uh, when she was young. I don't know if she says anymore. She'd say, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And I thought, gravy's... Close, like gravy's there. I don't know about your 
gravy, but gravy in general, it tastes better than skinny feels. And so I'm standing there and I'm looking at mashed potatoes and gravy. And what's going through my mind is I, I, I used up all my willpower on that half grapefruit I ate for breakfast. It's all gone now. And I'm staring at gravy and mashed potatoes and, 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 and I, I put, I put, I mean, I don't, you do. I put mashed potatoes on my plate and then I see fried chicken. I put fried chicken on my plate and you know, we're in the South. Gravy's not a condiment. It's a beverage in the South. And so you just take it, you ladle it all over it and your, your plate's swimming in gravy. You say, well, you should have tried harder. You stay out of my business. <laughs> I don't tell you what to do. You don't tell me. No, I'm never going to win that battle. But that's the end of it. I'm never going to win that battle. No, I'm never, I'm never going to win that battle. As long as I like gravy more than I like being healthy. What, what's going to make me conquer the gravy is I love being healthy more than I love gravy. And we walk around when it comes to temptation. Here's what we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves, well, you just need to try harder. You need to have more willpower. And so we, we read books about willpower and we read articles about willpower and we listen to tapes about willpower and we now know willpower is an expendable resource. Did you know? That's why at breakfast you can eat a half a grapefruit and why at night you stick your face under a chocolate fountain before you go to bed. You have used up all your willpower all day long and by the time the longer you stay up, the more willpower you're using for all sorts of things in life. And willpower is not about one thing. You have a finite amount of it. So if you use willpower to uh, not eat a biscuit, uh, and then you have to use willpower not to kill one of your kids about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, then it's all gone. But you got people saying, well, you just need to try harder. No. You need to love something else more. And that is exactly what James is saying in verse number 12, that that crown of life is going to go to those who love them. So I want you to think about whatever it is you're tempted is. You're tempted on a day-in, day-out basis. Do you love God? Do you love yourself? Or do you love the sin more? Because the problem is we love the sin more than we love God. And temptation reveals your love life. Temptation tells us what we're in love with the most. Temptation tells you what you're in love with the most. It tells me what I'm loving the most because the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more that temptation starts to fade. And I would even argue that you can get so close to Jesus, you can look back one day and say, I wonder what the allure to that temptation even was. Because it's a desire to fulfill, it's a lure to fulfill a desire apart from God's design. And the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more God's design means to your heart and life. Temptation tells us about our love life. The second thing I want you to know is this. And temptation is not a treat. It's a trap. Temptation is not a treat, but a trap. Let me show you that. Let no one say, he says in verse 13, when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot, 
be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now listen, God may send you into trials in your life, but he does not send you into sin. That's why you cannot ever say, well, I I fell in temptation. Listen, you could blame it on God if you're not careful. You could say it's God's fault. You could say God led me into this temptation. Listen, if God were going to tempt you, you would lose every time. Like you could not stand You could not withstand the temptation of God, but listen carefully. God does not deal in darkness. He deals in light. He does not understand sin. He does not touch sin. He he has no concept of personal sin because God, Jesus never sinned. God has never sinned. So God cannot put his hands on sin and tempt you with it. He would never do that. No temptation ever comes from God. Well, then where does it come from if it's a test? Notice this, but each one is tempted when he or she is drawn away. Let me stop right there and say this. Do you know that is the goal of all sin and temptation in your life? Don't you, let, let me pull the shades down from the enemy. Every temptation is about drawing you away from God. Every temptation is about this right here. Every temptation that the enemy has in your life right now is about getting you farther and farther away from God. Temptation doesn't come from God because by its very nature, it's trying to take you away from a right relationship with God. You cannot give in to temptation and be closer to God. It's an impossibility because it always drives you away. You're drawn away from God. So where does it come from? It's hard to hear. Your own desires. The word desire there is an intense longing for an improper object. See, when we long to fulfill an internal desire apart from God's design, we are getting into trouble. And this, that phrase tells me so much. It tells me that temptations are tailored for every individual. Did you know that what tempts you may not be tempt me? We take everybody in this room and drop you in a room full of temptation and some of you would fall and some would not. And those of us who did not fall would be like, yeah, we know who the spiritual ones are. Look at us. But you take that same group of people, you put them in a different room full of temptation and the ones that didn't fall would fall in the second room. Why? Because temptation is tailored to every individual. That's why it's your own desires. So what tempts you may not tempt me. And here's what it tells me. Temptation doesn't come from the outside. Get this. This kind of dawned on me when I was studying the passage and pouring myself into these verses. And I never really thought about this before. But get this. Temptation is from the inside. Sin is from the outside. Temptation and sin are different. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to act on the temptation. We'll talk about that in just a second. But temptation is an inside job. Sins from the outside, temptations on the inside. But again, notice the last verse, the last word in the verse. You're drawn away by your own desires and enticed. The word enticed there means to lead into a trap. And when you have the desire to fulfill something apart from God's design, be careful. Your desires are leading you into a trap. We think it's a treat. 
But it's a trap. And I'm telling you what's going to happen in your life is you're going to fall prey to that temptation. You're going to give in to that sin. And you're going to wind up enticed and entrapped by your own sin. You ever seen in those stores, when I was a teenager, there was one in a pizza hut in our town. You ever seen one of those stores with the, with the claw on it and there's stuffed animals in it and it comes over and you put a quarter in the machine and it comes over and it reaches down and it plunges in the stuffed animals and you hope it grabs one, pulls it up and drops it and you win? It almost always grabs something, but it loses it on the way over. There's a boy in Titusville, Florida. His name was Mason. Mason was four years old. Mason's parents had went into a beef O'Brady's and apparently the machine, the claw machine was somewhere close to where they were eating and they lost sight of Mason for just a moment and Mason was over there feeding quarters in the machine trying to get this one particular stuffed animal out of the machine and so he couldn't get it out of the machine and so finally he ran out of quarters and instead of going to get, most of us would have just went back to dad and got more quarters, right? But not Mason. When that, when that uh, claw drops the stuffed animal, it comes like out of a vending machine, it comes out this hole that's about this size. Mason, being four years old, decided, well, if it's not going to come out, I'm going to go get it. And Mason, just a few months ago, crawled up the exit chute, and this is where they found him. (laughs) I love this for so many reasons. Here he is when the firefighters had to take the glass out of the machine. To, he's looking out. Here he is when they first find him in, in the machine. He, he crawled up into the hole and they found him in here. C- can you imagine if you came in Beef O'Brady's, you know, after he's in there and you're like, oh, look, honey, they got a kid in the claw machine today. Let's see if we can grab that. I'm sure some dad's like, no, let's just put ours in there. See if somebody will take his. And uh, he, he got into the, I love that for so many reasons. I love it because it tells us something. It is a beautiful picture. I, I hate it for little Mason. They said he was fine. But is it, it is an exact picture of what happens to us in our sin. That when we get drawn away by our own desires, we get into a trap. And we have a lot of fun getting there. But it will lead me along a painful path and it will trap you. This past week I read this. I read a proverb a day, and I read this in my Proverbs on October 5th, and it fit perfectly with the sermon. Notice this. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. It's exactly what James was trying to tell us, that your own iniquities will trap you. Your own temptations will lead you into a trap. And listen, here's the problem. We think it's a treat. We tend to put temptation up on a pedestal and we say, man, if I could just get my hands on that. Man, if I could just sink my teeth into that. Man, if I can just get involved in that, then my life would be better. And we view temptation as a treat. But listen, it's never a treat. It's a trap. The devil knows how to paint a pretty picture of sin and just like a mouse who smells fine cheese and says honey I I think I found a place to shop tonight I saw a block of cheese sitting out in the middle of nowhere on the way home (laughs) I'm going to go get it for dinner 
It smells so good. It looks great. But little does he know about the time he sinks his teeth into that. His own desire led him into a trap. Listen to me carefully. Temptation is not a treat. It is a trap. And your own desires will lead you into a trap when you're considering fulfilling a desire apart from God's design. You are headed for trouble. Let me show you the third thing this verse tells us, these passage tells us. This is worded weirdly. And I know it's worded weirdly, but I need you to get the imagery. All right? I wasn't trying to be creative. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Number three, read the last page of the story first. Read the last page of the story first. I was surprised by this in the early service. How many of you, when you pick up a novel, read the last page before you read the first page? Can I see, can I see your hand? I'm shocked by that. that that's, that's what happened in the early service. I would never read the last page of a book first, but good for you, man. Just get out of the way. Like, like I, I want a book never to end. You want to start with the end and go back to the beginning. So I, I would never do that, but I'm telling you to do it in this story. Why? Look at this story. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, let me define a word there because we need to understand it. When you see the word conceived, it is temptation plus action. Temptation plus action. When desire has conceived, when I have married my temptation with action, you have been lured into a trap. So the desire is conceived and it becomes sin. And sin grows up and it becomes death. And there are three generations here. The parent is desire, sin is the child, and death is the grandchild. So here's how the story of temptation goes. Number one, you have a desire for something apart from God's design. You are being lured into a trap apart from God's design. You marry that desire with action. It is conceived. Sin is born. And here's the story. Don't miss this. Something always dies. Because the end of the story is it brings forth death. Can I tell you that that is the story every single time? Death is always the final page. It's always the final chapter of the story of temptation in your life. And don't think you can beat the system. There are people here today and you've been saying, Preacher, I've been getting, been getting by with this forever. I've been getting by with this for years. The preacher doesn't know. My wife doesn't know. The husband doesn't know. My kids don't know. My parents don't know. I'm keeping it hid from everybody. So I'm all good. My story must be different. It's not. Your story of temptation, if it conceives, will end in death. And that is the story every single time. And you can't beat the system. So here's why I'm telling you that. If you know how the story ends, it ought to change the story. Three kids in Florida were just arrested for uh, they, uh, Minnesota. I said Florida, but Minnesota. Three kids in Minnesota went to a Cubs food, and I don't know why, but they stole a cake. They went into the bakery section, 
They stole a cake. And the Cubs Food Management saw them. They called the police. They reported. They even saw the kind of car they got into. And so they, uh, they, they called them. And the police caught them and pulled them over. But now before I tell you the rest of the story, there's one important detail I left out. Have you ever seen wax fruit in somebody's house that looked so re- real that you thought it was real? You may have even picked up the apple and you thought, this is the most beautiful apple I've ever seen. You picked up and realized it's just wax fruit. Well, they had a cardboard cake at Cubs Food, and it looked like the real deal. And those three teenagers made off, absconded with a cardboard German chocolate cake. Now, I don't know why they stole a cake. Maybe it's somebody's birthday. Maybe it's all they had to do. Maybe they're playing Fortnite and needed a snack. I don't know what the problem was. But can you imagine the humiliation of that? Can you imagine getting in the car and being like, hey, did we steal plates, forks, and knives too? I mean, I don't know, what, do we get everything else? No, but let's just dive in. Can you imagine somebody starting to cut, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, fellas, I got bad news. This thing's cardboard. Now, that's embarrassing enough, right? Like before you had a story to tell, yeah, we broke into Cubs Food, got us a cake. They didn't tell us what to do. Now, you can't tell anybody the story. And to add to humiliation, the cops pulled them over. What are you boys doing? We're stealing cardboard cake. What are you doing, man? Can you imagine being, can you imagine the prison scene in that? What are you in for? See that tattoo? I'm stealing cardboard cake. You better not mess with me. The Adena police in Minnesota put out this tweet. I love it. Shoplifter stopped this morning after stealing a cake. Turns out they had inadvertently swiped a cardboard display cake. Hashtag no cake for you. <laughs> Josh, come get us on together. Can you imagine when their disappointment when they got back in the car? Listen to me, that is what temptation does for us. It promises us cake and delivers cardboard. Why do I tell you that story? Because if those teenagers had have known that the end of the story was they had grabbed a cardboard cake, they would have never have went through the trouble. They would never have risked arrest. They would never went through the trouble of robbing the store and getting into trouble because the end of the story would have told them it's not worth the effort. It's not worth the pain. Listen to me carefully. I'm telling you the end of the story. Your temptation ends in death. Your temptation ends in something very precious being taken away from you. Go through your Bible and get testimony. God told Adam and Eve, the moment you take that fruit, you shall surely die. And Adam and Eve said, no, we got this. And God said, I've already told you the end of the story. Don't do it. No, we got it. It's okay. We're, we're an exception to the rule. They ate the fruit. They immediately experienced spiritual death. And then they died. And we have funeral homes today because somebody didn't pay attention to the end of the story. You're reading your Bible about David and Bathsheba, who is the greatest king of Israel, man after God's own heart, who was looking out through, he was a, being a peeping Tom one day, watched his neighbor's wife in an outdoor bath, which is why the, the way they had to do it back in the day. 
He lusted after her. David was already married. He forced himself upon her, committed adultery, had her husband killed. Here's what the Bible says about David. The sword never departed from his house. You you read the rest of the book of David. Listen to me. Uh, The rest of the story of David. It is misery after misery after misery after misery after misery after misery. And David, before it all started, he knew it. He knew it was going to lead to death. And David did not heed the final chapter, the final page. Things started dying. Man, I can tell you story after story after story in the Bible. I can tell you story after story after story of people I've pastored over the years of preachers who wouldn't pay attention to their own sermons. Temptation is a do and die scenario. If you give in, you're going to kill something every single time. Could be your family, could be your marriage, could be your finances. You'll kill your walk with God. You'll kill your spiritual life. You'll kill your reputation. Because that's how the story always ends. Always. Read the last page. The last page of the story of every temptation. The final word is death. Something's going to die because sin kills. And you can't stop it, and it can't stop it. So that temptation is not a treat. It's how the enemy brands it. Oh, it'd be so fun. Just sink your teeth into this. Grab hold of this thing. Grab hold of that person. Grab hold of that event. Grab hold of that. I mean, it's going to be so much fun. It's a treat. No, it's not. It's a trap. It's going to end in death. And you can't try hard enough to not give in. So what hope do you have? Only one. You know what it is? Love God and increase your love of God to the point of the temptation doesn't even matter to you anymore. Hey, you can testify to that. If you've been saved for any length of time, you know things you used to be tempted by early on in the Christian life. If you've grown in Christ, those things are not even temptations anymore. Why? Because you've grown. You love Jesus more than you used to love him. And the more I love Jesus, oh, here's trouble. Man, I could preach all day. Here's the trouble. I'm not going to, but here's trouble. I'm talking as if you only have one temptation. That's not true. You got temptation after temptation after temptation after temptation going on in your life. You don't have enough willpower to resist all those. Well, I got, I got this temptation on Monday and this one Tuesday, another one on Wednesday, another one's going to jump out at me on Saturday I never even thought about before. Man, the temptations are flying around you all the time. You don't have enough willpower to do all that. You don't need it. Just love Jesus. 
And the, what does the old songwriter say, Denny? And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. you'll turn your eyes upon Jesus fall in love with him would you stand with me across the room here's the invitation we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week helping you to apply God's word to your daily life for more information about Peavine be sure to check us out on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and at our website www.pvine.org. Thanks for listening.